Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. All right, well, we're continuing this week in our series called Dirty Jobs. Everyone say Dirty Jobs. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Somebody say Dirty Jobs. Who likes the dirty jobs in life? Put up your hand. Tyson likes them because Tyson has a, has a plumbing company, and frankly, he makes a lot of money from dirty jobs, don't you? Yeah, it's true. It's true. Some jobs pay really well in the world of dirty jobs, and uh, we, got, we got a few pipeliners in the house. They know what a dirty job is, laying in that mud. A few welders know what it's like to lay in the wet ground, mud, wet clothes, holding on to the stinger of a welder and wondering why you feel so energized. <clears throat> that was a little better than a chuckle, not really funny laugh, wasn't it? I thought it was a little better. All right, well, Dirty Jobs, um, if you would like to, you can podcast our sermons there at genchurch.ca. Uh, you can download us on iTunes, or you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And we're really excited because we're in a season where uh, we're going to begin to move a little more in the realms of social media. And so not only will our sermons be available, uh, but just in the past a little while, we've been talking about some great conversations that we'd like to uh, invite people in on. And, you know, we're, we're really a church that's relationally driven. And because of that, we actually thrive on the continual building of a relationship. And as we understand God's Word, I think it's important for us to share together, to break bread together, uh, and we like the culture of this house to be that we arrive at some conclusions together because of what we see God doing. So um, keep your eyes open for, for increases in our social media presence. It's going to be an exciting time. Uh, the title of today's message is Dirty Jobs, The Available Servants. Available Servants. And I know that that gets everybody impassioned, emblazed, and all fired up, all excited for what church can be. And and uh, don't worry, if you're with us this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, don't worry. This is going to this is gonna be for you too. It's going to make sense. And I think you're, you're going to actually be a little bit closer to Jesus in the end. So we might not think of being available as a dirty job. Uh, if I tell you dirty jobs, you probably think plumbers, something to do with mud, um, changing diapers. If you're a dad, that's the dirtiest job we can think of usually. Um, but... I just want to tell you that nobody in this world, nobody in this life is going to get through it without having to do some dirty jobs. You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to learn how to get through it. You can't always call someone else to do your dirty jobs. And dirty jobs, basically, I think for the sake of our series, we're going to continue to define as dirty jobs are just often the jobs that other people don't want to do. Nobody else really wants to do it, and because of that, it doesn't really get done uh, plumbing is a simple job, just so you know. I've been, I was a plumber once, and then the Lord saved me and brought me, brought me to, to a place of higher ground where my feet were firmly established on the rock, got to become a tree, the planting of, you know, I'm just kidding. I would go plumb in a heartbeat still because it was pretty good money, frankly. Um, but the thing about dirty jobs is it's just easy to hire those out. It's convenient. Well, let's just get someone else. But let me ask you this. In the kingdom of God, what happens when the believers, Christians, church attenders, begin to take on the attitude that it's just not convenient enough anymore? You see, our, our culture today in North America is battling an epidemic, and it's an epidemic of actually, it's, it's, a, it's an epidemic of convenience. We are becoming slaves to what is convenient, and uh, it's showing in our body shape, it's showing in our habits. It's showing in your screen time app. 
Nobody wants to say amen to that, huh? Interesting. But it's showing that we more and more are, are living in a culture of convenience. And the Bible specifically has a few problems with that. And we're going to unpack that today. So uh, two fairly involved issues that prevent us from being available servants. And we're going to try to unpack both those today in the next 20 minutes or so. Uh, the first issue, I'm just going to share with you now. The first issue is our availability into, in relation to those around me. So we all struggle, we could all say this, we all struggle in being available in relation to those who are around me. The people around us affect what we can be available for, or maybe even better said, what we want to be available for. And the second is availability based on my desires. These are the two areas that we're going to wrestle through. So being available uh, is sometimes boring. Trust me, I know. When we planted the church, I literally sat some days holding my phone in my hand, wondering if anybody was going to need a pastor. Nope. Not important yet. Nope. Still not. And as the days and weeks and months and years went by, uh, I realized that I probably shouldn't spend a lot of time focusing on how much my phone rang to determine how important I was. But availability, making ourselves available, is boring because there's downtime when we're available. Now, we're going we're gonna to unpack that a little more. Um, the idea where we would exist in a reality where nothing is really happening does not seem logical to us. Most of you probably sitting in our church are, are people who are somewhat productive at the very least. Some of you are incredibly productive. And if we were to follow you around for a day, we would see the evidence of that, that your, your time is expedited wisely, and, and that you, of course, honor the seventh commandment, that you rest, you take Sabbath, and, uh, which you're not, but we'll get to that on another Sunday. Um, the idea to us that just simply being available, somehow there's something wrong, but I want to say that as we establish God's Word this morning, we're going to see that the requirement of Jesus for a believer is to be available. We, we talk about this a lot in this church. Yes means no. Whatever I say yes to means I have to say no to probably a multitude of other things. And so we need to become wise in what we say yes to and what we say no to. But let me just break it down to uh, an analogy that maybe everyone can understand. If you have kids that have played hockey, just raise your hand. If you had nephews, nieces, children, you, you've had to go to a game. I'm assuming about 90% of our church is going to put up their hand. And so this is the thing. If you don't know this, you're about to learn it. But if you're coaching five-year-olds to play hockey, and you have little Johnny on the team, and he has not scored a goal all season. This applies to soccer, too. Pretty much every sport except for golf. Um, what we tell little Johnny to do, if he hasn't scored a goal all season, and we're getting right down to the end, what do we tell Johnny to do when he's on the ice? Go, oh, I'm so glad you all know that. We tell little Johnny, go to the net. Why? Because the guys who score the goals are the guys who are going to go to the net. And so we will tell little Johnny because we want so badly for him to succeed that he needs to get to the place and be available in the place where he can hit his objective. Oh, that's good, right? That's simple. Even, even I can understand this. Go to the net. And then what? And I've watched this, and I, I, I've, I've done a little bit of coaching in my life. I've, I've, I've watched kids play, and it's funny because they all wander. The, 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 
The thing in every kid is to chase the puck, chase the puck, chase the puck, chase the ball if it's soccer. Everybody, every kid who plays basketball, they all try to huddle together. When kids are learning to play volleyball, everybody's diving for the ball and running into each other. Nobody wants to be available. See, because we're too short-sighted sometimes to see what God wants to do. Too short-sighted to understand that coach told me to go stand in front of the net because that's where I'm going to score, baby. Go to the net, stay there with it. Let me just, let me just say a, a paraphrase. I don't know. Jesus didn't really say this, but I'm going to say it to you. If you want to do something great for God, leave your net when Jesus calls you. If you want to do something great for God, the moment Jesus calls you, become available for what Jesus is saying to you. When Jesus called to his disciples, they immediately, this is what the scripture says, they immediately left their nets and followed him. And what we see sometimes in, in my life, and I have friends who look at my life with me, my wife certainly looks at my life and honestly critiques it from time to time, and, and I do the same for her, except I'm never honest with her because I just want her to smile at me. But, but, the, but the reality, the reality is, is not, not many of us want to do that. Well, that's before they follow Jesus. You're just, no, I'm saying when, when Jesus calls us, we need to drop what we're doing to follow him. And if you want to do something great for God, that's the first step. By the way, even if you don't have a relationship with God and you're sitting here today, if you want to do something great, drop your net when Jesus calls. All right. Uh, a guy by the name of Michael Ware, I think he wrote this in a book. Um, I don't know what the title of the book is offhand, but just, just listen to this. Jesus does not call us to ignore our neighbors, take up our comforts, and follow our dreams. He calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses, and follow him. If somebody ever tries to sell you a version of Christianity uh, that is entirely without responsibility, I think they're preaching the wrong Jesus. Because Jesus didn't ask us to serve ourselves. Jesus didn't come to serve himself. The Son of Man came to serve, not to be served, is how he explained it to his disciples. So now, I know that none of us would do this um, in our mindset, at least, intentionally, but nonetheless, we see this happening all the time. And, but as with many things we learn when we're walking with Jesus, it's actually our lack of intention that takes us to the places we don't want to go. So what I mean to say by that is, if you want to be in a place where you can respond to Jesus, you have to become intentional about being in that place. Because if we're unintentional, we simply are drifting. Uh, Pastor Tyson, a couple years ago, preached a great message on this, and he kind of talked about it in the, in the reality that we're in a river and we're paddling, and if you stop paddling, you're adrift, but there is, not, there is something that's driving where you're going to drift to. And so the reality is if we're not intentional in trying to get to where we're going, if we don't maintain intentionality in our walk, we're going to find pitfall after pitfall and problem after problem. So yes means no. We have to be intentional in what we say yes to. Yes means no. We have to be specific in how we choose to respond to opportunities. So as a leadership at Generations Church, we are very, very committed to building a church that is not over-programmed. Because Pastor Amy and I did it. We were a part of 
several churches from the time uh, th through college, in college, where, where overcommitment was kind of the norm. And so everybody was expected to be at the church six nights a week. And, um, you know, not many people can run that pace. I can tell you I didn't run that pace very well, uh, but I did run it. Um, so we, we choose to be tactical in what we take on. We, we choose to make sure that a program or an idea or a ministry aligns with where we want to go as a body because it's one of the most important things in building a church that we maintain the ability for people to be available. Everyone say available. All right. So the first thing we want to talk about now, officially, we're getting right down to it. Available in relation to those around me. Available in relation to those around me. Now listen to this. Book of Psalms, chapter 84, verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. So what we have here is two statements, but it's one thought. Two expressions of one thought. Both are possibly bearing uh, kind of a poetic exaggeration. Like, really? A thousand days? Really, David? Really? I'm not so sure. Or, let me just say this, or not. Maybe there's not poetic exaggeration in these. Maybe you can get your head around the greatness of God with me to the point where you realize that it actually is likely, it's literally true, that a day in his courts is better than a thousand. And by the way, often in the, in the Bible, when we see big round numbers like a thousand, we're actually speaking symbolically in terms of, of, of eternity. Okay, so a day is a thousand years to the Lord. There are biblical literists and there are biblical uh, uh, symbolists wouldn't be the right application of that word, but um, there are people who are going, well, not everything's literal. A lot of it's allegorical. And so we would look at that and say, you know, we got to consider a thousand is a symbolic number of what is eternal. Now, I don't want to go too much farther with that, but it's important, ju it's important just to set the tone for what we're really talking about here. I don't think that David, for the record, changed his mind after he died and was in the presence of the Lord. You know, I don't think that was like an aha moment for David when he went into the presence of God for eternity and was like, oh, so it's not true that a day in your course is better than a thousand elsewhere. I, I, I imagine is he was like, yep, that's true. Now, if, 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 you, if you don't know that, if you can't see that, maybe, maybe we could just adjust your perspective on heaven just a little. Because it's going to be better than you think it is. Now, I know nobody's excited about that, but trust me, it'll be worth it. All right. So I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Now, words are very important, aren't they? And I want to establish this word picture in your mind. A tent is a temporary dwelling, right? Anybody live long-term in a tent here? Anybody ever done it? You know, no, I'm not that anybody. I told Pastor Amy when we were looking at buying land and farming that maybe we would just, you know, live in something like a holiday trailer, and her words to me were, we are not living in a wall tent. <laughs> That's one thing we are not doing, husband. We're not living in a wall tent while we build anything, and, uh, and so we avoided that uh, marital catastrophe by, by getting a house. 
And I want, to understand, I want you to understand this morning, the difference between a tent and a house is what? Tents are temporary or temporal, and houses are much more permanent in their nature. And it's not an accident that God's Word reveals it this way. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, which, by the way, is eternal if you interpret the Scriptures at all, and rather than dwell in the tents of the wicked. The tents are temporal, they are temporary, but the house of the Lord is an everlasting house. And it's interesting to me um, because the words denote a stark contrast in why I'm here in the first place. Why am I here? And why is it that I would rather be a doorkeeper than dwell in the tents of the wicked? Now, Obviously, if the house of the Lord is eternal in nature, we can kind of draw the conclusion and, okay, I kind of get it, but here's the problem with the tent of the wicked. It takes away our availability to stand in the house of God. And I don't know if you have a hard time seeing that in Scripture or not, but it's, it's pretty plain to me because it's a rather. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to the other side of rather, dwell in the tents of the wicked. Just say it to you simply, you actually can't do both. You actually can't dwell in the house of God or, or stand in the house of God as a doorkeeper and also dwell in the tents of the wicked. Now, I know some people are like, well, what's so bad with living in a tent? I like it. I go online. I sin. I feel bad for a few minutes. But after that, I don't really care anymore. I like my money. I don't mind that it's temporary. I like doing what I want to do. It's temporary, but that's okay with me, Pastor Travel. What happens when you run out of temporary and you get to the place we call eternity? So there's a dilemma there. So what are the tents that you tend to be available for? Real, real straight. What are the tents that you and I choose to be available for that prevent us from standing in the house of the Lord? Well, just saying... Get ready for this. Your kid's sports program might be a tent. Yeah, that's what I thought the response would be. Your kid's sport program is a tent. It's, it's temporary in nature. And you would be unwise to try and build eternal values on something that is temporary as a foundation. You'd be unwise. Um, what, what other? I'm not saying your kids can't be in sports. I think it's great for kids to be in sports. It's wonderful. It's awesome. It's fun to go. I mean, we even try to go to other kids' sports that aren't our kids. We like it. We like cheering. We like, we, we, we like to celebrate the wins with people, with family, with extensions of family and friends. But, but listen, what, if you as a parent allow a sports team to be the dwelling place of your family... What are you teaching your kids about where they should dwell? See, normal is whatever you make it in your home, good or bad. Normal is going to be what you make it in your home. And that's where the difference between functional and dysfunctional begin to take form. So what are you teaching them to dwell in? What are you teaching them to be available for? Hockey, soccer, badminton. Um, you can fill in the sports. Arts dancing, drama, miming. I don't know if that's a thing people do. I think we should look at that, miming, because for Annika, we should look at miming as a hobby for Annika. It would be, 
so much quieter in our home. Um, anyways, I love her. She's such. She's so her mom. I love her so much. It's so good. All right. Uh, now I'm in a lot of trouble. Anyways. Um, Okay, all right, listen, I, I intentionally just gave you some comic relief because now I'm about to slap you in your face. Are you ready? You ready for this? Everyone brace yourself. Grab your spouse by the arm and brace yourself as I say this. In the same way, an iPad is a tent, not a house. iPads are a tent, not a house. What are you teaching them to be available for? Here's your parenting tip of the week. I even said, let's put it up on the screen, which I hope we did back there, guys. Parenting tip of the week, having nothing to do might be the best thing that's happened to your child in a long time. And everybody said, amen. It might just be the very best thing that happened. You know, my parents, they spoiled my brother Curtis because he was the baby. And they were poor until Curtis came along. And my other two brothers and I, we talk about this every year at Christmas because Curtis got everything. He got a Coke at every meal. He got to eat his own steak. He didn't have to share Chinese food growing up at the restaurant. Got everything he wanted. I might be exaggerating a tiny little bit, but it's just for the sake of the gospel, so it's totally okay. Um, God spoke to me as a child in the moments where nothing was going on. And listen, if you let your, understand, I'm not trying to bring condemnation. I, I just want to provoke a conversation and a thought in the people of God. If you let an iPad or a sports team or whatever group of people or friends or opportunities, because yes means no, if you allow that to become the dwelling place for your children or for your family, then when will you be available to hear from God? Oh, but I can hear from God at the hockey rink. I know you can hear from God at the hockey rink, but can you respond to him? James tells us to not only be a hearer of the word, but what? An effectual doer of the word. And that's so important for us to understand. So, so it's one thing to dwell in the tense of the word. That even sounds kind of positive, but I just want to, bring something out of the Old Testament to your memory today? Do you know that the Bible says, it talks about how Abraham dwelt in the land for, of, of whoever it was. And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt. And I just, I want you to understand this, that whenever Israel wandered away and dwelt somewhere, every single time in the Old Testament, they became not inhabitants, but slaves. And it might seem like dwelling in the tent is okay, but I want to issue you a warning today by the Spirit of God. And the risk that we run is becoming slaves when we dwell in tents instead of the house of God. It's, better than, it's a better word than you're acknowledging. I'm not saying that because I think I'm awesome. I'm just saying this is, this is, this is, this is true. It's true. Here's another thought. I actually wrote, oh, snap, because I just thought of it this morning. How many of us give our children iPads or activities so that you don't have to be available to them? Ow. How many times have we done it, Mom and Dad? Turn on a movie, so what? 
We can have an afternoon nap on Sunday. Some of you don't get that. I see. We don't care what you watch as long as you don't come anywhere near our room because we're having a nap, kids. Right? Now you're starting to catch on. Come on, church. Come with me on this little walk. And then, oh, snap, snap. How about the person who might be sitting in church this morning who has kids, and because you have kids, you say, well, I have kids. I can't be available because I have this child. See, it's funny how we do that as people. We use others as our excuse or as our distraction or as our dismissal when we don't want to do something. It just seems too hard. It just seems like it's going to take too much. It just, it just seems like, I want you to know that God is not calling any of us to do as much as he is calling us to be available. Because his objective is to perfect his strength in our weakness, not to burn us out. And I think that some of these things like burnout and stress and, and all the things we're trying to avoid by saying no to so many things, we're preventing ourselves from saying yes to what God has for us. I just want you to understand that you cannot fool the Holy Spirit. You might fool me. You might fool the people around you. But one person you will not fool is the Holy Spirit. And you can ignore him. But always remember, you can't fool him. And my point here is this. At no time, and let me say this again, at no time has Jesus ever given me or you or anyone that follows him permission to disengage from our mission, to turn from our calling, or abandon our obedience to him. That statement and Christianity cannot, they, they, they don't flow together. For me to pick up my dreams and follow through on what I'm passionate about and totally ignore my neighbor and do anything but pick up my cross, that is not the Jesus that the apostles preached. That is not the gospel that Jesus told his church to preach. He's never given us permission to turn from our mission or our calling or abandon our obedience to Him. For some of us, this creates a bit of panic because we don't like to get things wrong. And just hear my heart in this because I really, I really do love you. We want, we want the very best things for you. You can't do it on your own. You can't be available enough for God all by yourself. You can't. You're going to need His help to do it. You can't do it on your own. And there's no pleasing God without faith. So Hebrews 11:6 6 says, there's no loving Jesus without obedience. That's what John 15, 15 says. And there's no walking with the Holy Spirit unless you crucify the flesh. That's Galatians 5, 16 through 25. Following Jesus is as simple as this. There's no pleasing God without faith. There's no loving Jesus without obedience to him. And there's no ability to walk in the Spirit until the flesh is crucified. Available in relation to my desires. So now that we've talked about how people can influence our availability a little bit, let's just talk about how our desires influence our availability. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. If you have your Bible, 
just forewarning you, those last three references, if I had more time today, we were going to do a sword drill. We were going to kick it old school. So next Sunday, maybe. But here's what 2 Timothy 2.20 says. And in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Now, I don't know about you, but that is the beginning and end of the thought as it was always taught to me growing up in the church. But in reading Scripture, that is not the end of the thought. It goes on to say in verse 21, If then anyone who may cleanse himself from these, he shall be a vessel to honor and sanctified and profitable to the master to every good work having been prepared. See, and I think that many people get hung up on the idea or the terms of service in, in God's kingdom. And because that we get kind of hung up on the terms of what we might be called to do, is it, is it noble, is it not noble, I think God might put me out there in a place I don't really want to be, like I could get embarrassed, so God, you know, I want to follow you, but just don't embarrass me, please, Jesus, that whole kind of thing. I think that influences our response. And I think that some of us put up walls, high walls, and we choose not to be available because we are afraid of what God might ask us to do. Somebody's thinking right now in their heart, yeah, I'm not afraid of what God might ask me. I'm afraid of what my pastor might ask me to do. Well, I try to follow Jesus in this, that I only say what I hear the Father saying, and I only do what I see him doing. But Jesus isn't going to ask you to do something he's not willing to do or have already done for you, just, just to be clear. Um, but that's the hang-up. And I, I can think back as a kid to all my growing up years in the church, in good churches, that nobody ever really unpacked this biblical thought with me. So I just want to unpack it with you. Because it actually kept me tied up as, as a kid, as a teenager. I, I would sit there and I'd read that passage and say, well, God, I, I just pray, God, that you would help me to be a, a, a vessel that's noble, a vessel that's honorable, a vessel that, and I was all tied up in, in this thought that there are vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. And I never understood reading, if then, which is the continuation of a thought, anyone may cleanse himself from these. And these, in the Greek, is the aforementioned, which would be the vessels of silver, gold, wood, and earth. If anyone may cleanse himself, in other words, if you can just put aside all your thoughts about how valuable you are to God or what's important or what's not important and what he may or may not ask you to do, if you can just step away from that conversation in your own head and realize that when we cleanse ourselves from that mentality, we are a vessel of honor. We are vessels of honor. Not because you're silver or gold or wood or stone, but because you're sanctified and made profitable by the Master for His work. Sometimes our obedience and our availability to God is influenced pretty strongly by our presumptions of what it means or what might happen. 
But can I just tell you this? Real obedience to God does not consider these things when trust is established. But trust cannot be established until obedience is realized. I think that if the whole church worldwide could understand this little concept, we'd have an entire, entirely different look. It bothers me that someone like Gandhi could say, you know, Christians don't really look like Jesus. And I don't think he was wrong when he said that. You see, our problem is, is that we're unwilling to be available for this dirty job of availability. Maybe because we actually don't trust him. Maybe because we haven't given the opportunity, we haven't availed ourselves to the place where God can prove he's faithful and trustworthy in our lives. And we have to come to the place in our hearts and in our relationship with God where we realize that obedience to him does not consider the outcome because you know that he loves you. Because you know that he would not withhold his favor and honor from you. Obedience does not consider these things when truth, trust is established, but trust cannot be established until obedience is realized. In other words, the way that you learn to trust Jesus is to be obedient to him. That's how you learn to trust him. And in order to be obedient, you need to become available. Jesus called to his first disciples while they were doing their daily job. A dirty job, I'm sure. Catching, cleaning, gutting, and selling fish is a dirty job. And Jesus calls to his disciples, says, come and follow me. I'm going to make you what? Remember the story? Fishers of men. The Bible, the Bible records this, and I love that it uses the word. Immediately, they left their nets. And then, they walked with Jesus for three, three and a half years, learning to trust him. Obedience comes before trust. How does this work with your children? Just think for a moment. How does this work when you're raising your children? What comes first, obedience or trust? Obedience actually comes before trust. It's amazing as you watch a kid develop and grow up, become cognitive, do the things that they do. Obedience comes before trust. And once trust is established, obedience really isn't a problem. Why did Adam and Eve sin in the garden? Why did they disobey the one thing God put in front of them? Do not do this one thing. Don't do it. Why did they do it? Honestly, because they didn't trust him. They actually thought in some way, somehow, that God was holding out on them. And that's why we're all here. So here's my just quick questions for you. Just, just a little self, just a little self-check here on motives as they relate to our own desires 
So are you the kind of person that's only going to be involved if you get to be the leader? I, I admit, there's a part of me that's that way. I'm the oldest, I'm the firstborn. My wife's also the firstborn, so it's all out like Armageddon sometimes. Two oldest children married to each other. We got to fight these things. We got to wrestle them out, which is my favorite part of figuring stuff out is wrestling with her. And um, we, we got to, you, you know, you know there's, there's, there's the balance and the check of our wills. But I want you just to ask yourself this morning, is the condition of your involvement in what God wants you to do only there because you want to be the leader because you need to be in control? Are you, are you the kind of person that's only involved if you get to choose? Are you the kind of person that responds and gets involved begrudgingly because no one else will? Let me just sum it up with this. Are there any conditions on your availability to God? And I think if you're honest with yourself and you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning, there's a list of conditions in each one of our lives. A list. And I know some of you are saints and it might only be two or three things, but some of us are, are just hopeless. And there's a long list of things. But honestly, given my preference, I would just as soon say, I got this, God. I'm going to do it my way. I want to I have it my way. I, I'm available to you as long as the following conditions are met. So not one of us would ever say that to God with our mouths. But evidently we say it with our actions. We say it by how we agree to things. We say it by where we choose to stand or to dwell. Whether you've been a Christian for your entire life like Graham this morning, or whether you don't have a relationship with him yet, I want you to know today that becoming available is the first step. That's the very first step in a relationship with God. Is being, being available. Because once we're available, we're prepared to hear and then obey. Once we're available, we're prepared and in the place where we can do what he says. And by the way, when we're available to the things that God has for us in this most wonderful reality, it makes us entirely unavailable to the things that would bring us to destruction. The way to become involved is to first become available. We're going to ask the same question we ask every single week at Generations Church. We get to the end of the service, the band comes up, which that's your cue band. And we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit a very, very simple question. And the question is always is this, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do with what I just heard today? Ironically, today I'm asking you to make yourself available to listen to what he might say to you right now. Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? Would you just, would you just bow your head and 
ignore the person sitting next to you for a moment and just open a conversation with God. Let's all do it together. Let's bow our heads. Just ask the question. In your mind, audibly, it doesn't matter. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with what I heard today? For some of you, this exercise will be the entire point of the message today. Because the response you might get is nothing. And I want you to know that if the Holy Spirit, in response to your question, what should I do, is nothing, then maybe it's time to reevaluate some of the things you do. God is looking for people who will hear his voice. In the days of the prophets, God has a conversation with himself. Who shall we send? Who can go for us? And only an available person can be the one who says, here am I, send me. It's not pretty what God calls us to do. It's not fashionable what God calls us to. It's not even easy what he calls us to do. None of those things. It's actually mysterious, unknown, and also unforgettable. We're going to sing this last song, Living Water. And it's really a prayer. And so I'll invite you to pray that as you sing this morning. But first, let me pray for you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks to the deep places of our heart. Lord, that as we seek you through the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth, you, you open up the things that are sometimes mysterious or hard to understand and make them so plain to us. And so, Lord, for each person today, I pray that there would just be an awakening, a recognition of our priority in life, where we stand in terms of how available we actually are to even respond to you. Lord, where we're placing our families and our children in the way we make decisions, Lord. God, we want you to be the one who actually leads our steps and guides our steps in this life. We want you to be the one who is actually sovereign over us. And we want to yield to you as not only our Savior, but also our Lord. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would encourage every person who might need to come this morning to receive what you have. Let's sing a song. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.